Welcome to the LYC Podcast. We are a youth community that believes in loving people and meeting them where they are. Our desire is that through this message, God's love for you is confirmed, your hope in Jesus is renewed, and your faith is awakened. Before we jump in completely to the word I believe the Lord gave me for this last day, I want to, I don't want to be too quick to move out of this moment. I don't want to be too quick for us to rush out of a space and a gift that we've been given to acknowledge the King of Kings. To recognize and live in a space for a moment that is so rare today. Where there's something in us that is crying this simple word, Maranatha, which means come quick. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is a Maranatha moment that we're in. It's a recognition that is scary to think of the return of Christ. But yet there's something in spite of the, the like, oh, God, I want you to come back. But first, I want this to happen in my life. I want you to come back. But first, I need this to happen. Oh, I, I was just like that when I was a teen. Jesus, I want you to come back. Return, God. But at first, I want to get married. Then after I get married, first, I want to have kids. First, I want all these desires in this, in this life. But what happens is there's something in my spirit that's screaming, but oh, the fulfillment of knowing him and all of his glory supersedes anything that we can even imagine. And we are locked and bound sometimes by our imagination of what this whisper, what this moment that we exist offers. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. The King is coming. He is coming again. And he's coming for us. For his bride. For his people, for his body. And he's so gracious that he has offered us moments of encounter with him. This side. King Jesus. There is a reality to the spirit realm that is far more real than what you and I experience every day in our flesh. And I want to just take a minute 
and try to help you understand how connected to heaven that we are and how close we are to heaven. I'm not talking death. I'm talking the reality of what is happening. Have any of you seen a television studio set? You know, where it looks like it can look like a house or a room, but when you actually walk in this space, you know, nothing has a ceiling, nothing has a roof. But what we see depicted on our television screens or on the movie screens or on whatever is it, it looks like a full, real house or store or place of business. Are we all familiar with that? That is what we are. We are a set in the spirit realm. This moment of existence that we were determined and destined to live in from before the foundations of the earth, God chose you for this moment, this time, specifically to live for a purpose that only you can complete for the kingdom. But yet the reality is what is happening around us in the heavens. Many years ago, there's a beautiful season in my life that the Lord allowed me to step into, into being able to see some certain things in the spirit. And one of the most impactful things that I saw was the response of heaven to our worship. See, when we do what Pastor Brandon encouraged us to do at the very beginning today, when we step into his presence in a place of one accord, heaven takes notice. When we sing words about the holiness of God and glory to God and blessing and honor and power and wisdom and dominion and strength and glory be yours, oh God, do you know what that begins to do? The hosts of heaven cannot contain their praise and it is a result of the saints' praise. We are not in response to the angels, but the angels praise in response to our praise of God. There's a song and it says, all the angels cry out, holy is the Lord God. All the earth replies, holy are you. That is such a beautiful picture. So when you step into a place of worship, not just at a camp, not just in church, in your private worship at home in your bedroom in your car and you begin to sit there with your heart and you begin to say holy are you God holy are you God there begins to be a response in heaven and this is happening all the time if we could understand even this much the reality what is happening in the spirit, it would change the very way we breathe. All hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. Father, we come to you this morning.
in a place of adoration, in a place of recognition of your entrance. We lay down every plan and agenda at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the throne. And we say, Jesus, what you want to do in this space, in this moment, it is yours. It is yours. Speak to us, God. Would you transform us, God? Would you truly allow this to be the moment that we leave changed, never to return to what we lived before, God? Would this be our moment with you that forever and ever is one of our anchor points? Of saying, I can't walk away because God did this. God met me. God showed me. Would you clip us in, God? Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Would you have your way? And would you do the miraculous in us? Be honored by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to jump in to a word I believe the Lord gave me for this, this last morning. He kind of did a little change up on me um, this morning as we were coming. But I want to talk about a couple things of what we see and where we're comfortable living to what God's calling us into individually. So this isn't, this can be corporately, but it's also for us. We need to grab a hold of this personally. So I want you to open your ears because the Holy Spirit is always speaking to you. So there's going to be things that as we're talking, and I want you to have your pens ready. And if you get an impression or a word comes to your heart or your mind, as we're talking about some different things, I want you to write it down and I want you to then pray into it. Because there might be some things the Lord is asking you to give him, to release to him, so that he can lead you into a place of further maturity and growth in who he is and what he has for you. Amen? The first thing we're going to talk about, and we're going to stay here for a minute, is intimacy and isolation. We live in a deeply, deeply isolated world and society. It has become even worse in the post-COVID era. COVID made everyone, including this girl right here, very comfortable in aloneness. Very comfortable to just sit in my house, my safe haven, to where I have to work it up to go out. Like, oh, we have dinner with people tonight, babe, can you cancel it? You're like, what? Well, you know, it's cold. It's, we got 13 inches of snow last night. So, you know, and thank God for my husband who's like, nope, our yeses are yes. And our, I'm like, okay, but I love being home. I love being in my place of isolation because no one's judging me in that space. But I've learned that as I'm isolated, I'm beco I become numb. I don't become as sensitized 
to people, to the things in my life that are needed to be transformed and changed, I become comfortable in being alone. There's a term in psychology, and it's known as the sixth stage of Erickson's psychosocial development theory. Big words. The sixth stage of Erickson's psychosocial development theory. And this stage takes place during young adulthood. So, so probably some of your leaders are in this stage. And some of you, I want you to be prepared as you're getting ready to enter this stage. Because this happens between the ages of 19 and 40. This, this um, Erickson's, this psychosocial thing. During this period of 21 years... The major conflict centers on forming intimate, loving relationships with other people are being established and rooted. The inability to form these relationships leads to emotional isolation that can also lead to physical isolation, loneliness, and feelings of depression. This is becoming an epidemic. It literally is becoming an epidemic. People are not developing the capacity to emotionally connect with others. The majority of a lot of people, their relationships who they consider their very best friends, they've never even met in real life. It's over screens, whether it be TikTok, gaming, Snapchat, other forms of social media, YouTube. We find and we're calling these people our close friends, our best friends. Some people are even falling in love via the screens, never having even met in person. We're not learning how to connect relationally, person to person, eye contact, physical touch, being able to say, I see you, I hear you, I know you, I'm, I'm empathizing with your, circ- your circumstances and your situation. We're losing the art of empathy. Empathy is saying, I see how you're feeling and I'm coming alongside of you to walk with you. We are becoming experts at judgment. Not having any foundation for the judgments we've made of one another. We're judging each other based upon what was being presented in a false reality. It's even more real as a spiritual principle. God is seeking intimate relationships with us, and our spirits are literally craving this intimacy. But often, we choose separating ourselves or trying to even hide from God and live in a spiritual isolation, which leads to these same feelings described above in the natural. See, God created us three parts, body, soul, spirit. We all work hard on the first two. For many generations, we've always been aware of the physical needs of health. You know, whether it's losing weight, whether it's getting fit, whether it's training for what you're doing athletically, whether it's when you're sick, you seek whatever you need to get better. We're aware, we grow up, 
going to doctors so that we, our parents know that we're growing right, we're in whatever percentile, you know, as our kids are your child in this percentile. Yay, that means they're healthy. You know, we, we do the things that we need to do for our bodies to become strong, to become healthy, and we're constantly, we take vitamins. If you're like me, you love essential oils. I'm one of those girls. We love all that stuff. We do what we can to work on this. In the last 15-ish years, we've become very cognizant of our soul. Our mind, our will, emotions. You can't go. I literally can't go a day without hearing the need, uh, uh, mental health crises, um, the need for therapies, the need for, for medications to help us get through. And it's all very real and we're cognizant and we're working on these things aggressively as a society. We're working on our flesh, our body, we're working on our soul, and we have neglected our spirit. And the funny part is the spirit is the only thing that's eternal. The body and the soul will die. Our spirit lives forever. I think often, and I was quite convicted of this as a, a parent raising my kids when they were young, how much time am I spending on spelling words compared to how much time I'm spending getting the word in them? How much time am I spending making sure they get to cheer, volleyball, and hockey practice as opposed to are we making room for Christ in everything that we do? What's first? First things first. My kids all were involved in in. Not just athletics, but today, of course, many of you know that to go anywhere with athletics, you have to not just be involved in the high school form of it, but you have to be involved in all the travel. Then, you know, my son being in hockey, he had to go to juniors, and then he had to do all these different things to get to where he went. But we had a, we had a I don't know, policy, I don't know what it's called, in our family that it didn't matter but we never, we did not miss church. And if you've ever smelt a hockey player, I don't care what your dorm smelled like this week or your cabins with this weekend, it ain't nothing. Like a sweaty 15-year-old, 16-year-old boy coming off the ice. Volleyball players aren't much better. Girls, I'm telling you, they're pretty gross. And my kids, Shay was, the, Shay was our cheerleader, and cheerleaders, they smell too, but, you know, we won't talk about that because she's here. But we told them they had practice five nights a week, and we had youth group on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. And the first thing I did when they would get their practice schedules is I didn't go as their mom and tell their coaches, hey, we have church, can you please change change the practice time for them I said that's your responsibility it's your walk with Christ who's first you got the schedule you go talk to the coach mom please please will you do it nope I can't because it's your faith See, this has to become something that becomes the greatest desire of your heart more than that college scholarship more than the desire to become a professional, more than the fear of being benched, more than the fear of suicides, 
or bagging, as they call it in hockey, more than any of that, you've got to desire the Lord over that. So this is your faith you're fighting for and you're making a stand. And every time their coaches said, sorry, this is when practice is. So my son Jackson, I'll use as an example, his practice would get over at 8 o'clock every night. Youth group starts at 7. I said, you don't shower. You throw in your clothes and you get, you're to be at Unleashed by 8.15. Unleashed was our youth group. That room of what Unleashed was about 75 to 100 kids. Jackson would come in about 8.15 and that whole room would go. Because you smelt him enter. And it was bad. And he only got about 20 minutes. But he came in and he was there for the word. And he knew what was first. He knew that God was first. Even though I have responsibilities. And, even the, and when final season come, you guys... When finals come, I get it. I can't come to youth group tonight. i got to study. I've got a big test. I've got this practice. I've got that practice. Who's first in your life? Because God will make room for the rest of it. You will be surprised at how he steps in. And suddenly you're retaining more than you were able to retain before when you study. He'll expedite the amount of time you used to invest when you're putting him first. You will see it's a biblical principle and my children can attest to it for living it out. You will see an increase in your academics. You will see an increased favor in the things that you are trying to get accomplished when you put Christ first. And here's why youth group and church is important because the word of God says do not Forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It doesn't say, do your best to get there. It says, do not, and here's why. Because we need one another, because when we come together like this, it's like plugging in and we're getting a rapid charge to go out and be bold, be courageous, be the light, be the salt. He wants us to be, this is my phrase, I love it. He wants us to be lit and salty among everybody that we're with. And that only happens when we're charging in together and we're building one another up in our faith. You can build yourself up, but there's something that happens. What's the word tells when two or three gather? Who's there? Who's there? Jesus says when two or three gather in my name, I'm there. So you can't, you're not going to be held back by pursuing Christ first. However, he may change your trajectory. What you may have thought is the end game. He might say, and all things begin to point to a different direction. Some of you are probably sitting here saying, that's great, but you can have that conversation with my mom and dad. When I have this practice or when I have this final coming up or you have no idea what class I have on Thursday mornings. Like it's, it takes so much work to get that homework done and da 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 You begin to pray to pre- ask God to prepare their hearts. 
say, I got to be at youth group no matter what. I know my practice gets over at 8 o'clock, but I'm going for 15 minutes. Even if it's 15 minutes. I just need to be with Jesus, and I need to be charged up knowing that there's other people who love him like I do. We have got to quit forsaking our spirit. The, the Hebrew word for knowing God is yada. And yada is to know something or someone in complete detail. It means to study, analyze, or investigate something until you know it or, or that person completely. It's found all throughout the Old Testament to know God. Yada is not just knowing the details about God, but it is also knowing his ways. Exodus 33, 13 is going to come up here. And it says this. I'm going to make sure to read it the right way. Were you able to get those in? I'm so sorry if you weren't. I gave them these. You have no idea how last minute I gave them to them. But I'll read it to you guys. Exodus 33, 13 says this, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know or I may yada you and continue to find favor with you. If you are pleased with me, God, teach me your ways so that I can know you and find favor with you. Yada, knowing God is being able to understand God's ways so that we can take him out of what we need as well as give back to him the things he desires from us for further relationship. Yada is also to know God by personal experience. I grew up with this statement from my dad was a mighty man of God and he used to always say this to me he says JJ the person with the argument will always be subject to the person with the experience but see people we have to have experience with God I can have people come to me and say, God doesn't do miracles anymore. God doesn't heal the sick anymore. And I can stand up and say, well, I will stand against that because when I was in seventh grade, I was healed of a brain tumor and I have the scans to show you the difference. See, my experience is going to a doctor, him looking in my eye and seeing a mass growing behind my right eye, being rushed immediately to the hospital, them doing all the scans, getting copies of these scans, being sent home, knowing that in three days I had to come back to have brain surgery and begin a regimen of understanding what a new life would look like because it would have been debilitating to me. And having people around the world beginning to pray for me and walking back into that hospital three days later, my dad said, before you touch a hair on her head, you take another set of scans because she's healed. And the doctor saying, we don't have time. And he says, you do it. And they did it and they said, there's nothing for us to do. Her brain's completely normal. My experience will supersede anyone who argues with me that God doesn't heal today. My brother Brad, we were at a thing called Summit 91 way back, what is that, 32 years ago? Um, 
We were at, it was a four-square gathering of young people, 10,000 four-square youth coming together. And it was the day before we got there. And my brother was already there with some friends. And I was met at the airport. I was on staff at a church in Southern California. And I was met at the airport when our group arrived saying, we need to get you straight to the hospital so you can say goodbye to your brother, Brad. He was killed in an automobile accident this afternoon. He was T-boned, pronounced dead on arrival. And my family, my parents were waiting there, my other brother. And that conference began. I ran straight there. The church I came with went straight to the meetings, 10,000 youth, and they began to intercede and pray. And my brother came back to life. My brother now has how many kids? Five kids. He's 55 years old. He's a very successful music producer in television and commercials with no cognitive deficits, nothing. And he was dead. Laying there with a sheet and then suddenly, just like you'd see in the movies, beep, beep. And that place went crazy. And he was out of the hospital within a week. You tell me God doesn't raise the dead? Oh, my experience is going to tell you something different. I know the dead that he has raised. God moves. But you have to know him. He says, put me in remembrance of my word so that I can perform it. God doesn't tell us to do that because he's forgotten what he says. But he wants to know, do you know what I said? Call me out. Because I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for you to walk in the authority that I have given you. I told you greater things you will do than I ever did on this earth. Greater things. You are the greater than. But you got to know. What is greater than what was already done? You got to own it. You got to say, This is mine. We've got to understand that intimacy with God requires a vulnerability none of us are comfortable with. But the crazy part of it is he already knows more about us than we even know. Because see, he knows the thing that has broken us, but he sees the repair. He already knows the thing that has shattered us, but he sees you whole again. See, he knows the very things we think that we're too, we're too ashamed or afraid to be vulnerable with him about. And he's saying, that is the very thing I love about you. I made you. I knew before you took a breath that that horrific thing would happen to you, but I am here I never left you. I never forsake you. Like that song says, not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place, right here. He's in this place. 
You've never been alone. You've never been shattered without somebody gathering every even speck of dust of what was broken of your life to bring you back into a place of fullness and completion. And he's holding those as a treasure. It says that he's seated at the right hand and he's collecting our tears and our prayers. And he's constantly in his dad's ear saying, oh, this is what they need. I didn't want to see this in their life. I'm just waiting for them to call out, stir, move on their heart, father. Oh God, do you see? Look at, they were created for this moment. And we always think the moments we were created for is only the victory. But like Shay was saying the other day, the moments we were created for are even found in the valley. God is searching, it says in John. It said God is searching for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. He is searching among us. For those of us who would worship him in spirit and in vulnerability, in authenticity, and in truth. And yet, we are called to seek him. Our scripture, Matthew 6, If you seek me, you will find me, is what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things. All of them, not most of them, not a few of them. All of these things will be added unto you. Just a couple last things before we move into a time of communion together. We often live in a place of hype that we mistake for holiness. Hype has to do with our emotional responses. Sometimes it's cultivated by production, by lighting, by sound, by stuff that is aimed and targeted to build an atmosphere for us to have an experience that often is emotionally based but can get rooted deeper. I'm not saying all these things are bad. I'm not saying that at all. It does help generate an atmosphere. Camp can even be considered a hype moment because it gets us in a place separated for a minute where it feels like, yes, I can do this. I can go home and I can be all for God in every circumstance, in my home, in my school, at my job, in my team. I can do this. We get hyped. We get ready. And then we step down and we say, I cannot do this. I am not strong enough. I don't want to be strong enough. Because this costs me too much. Because we realize it isn't the hype that God is calling us to, but he's calling us to holiness. Leviticus 19.2 says this, when God was forging a relationship with the Israelites, he told Moses this, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy. Because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
All that we do is that we would see Jesus. That we would see Jesus. And we can do as we did earlier. And we could go all hail King Jesus. All hail our Savior. And in order to do that, it requires us to invest in relationship with him. To be obedient to his word. To trust him at all times. To be faithful. To praise him on the mountain and in the valley. That's all it requires. It's relationship. The value of God's word. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. It's living and active. It's alive. It's breathing. It's rising and it's falling. And it's speaking and it's transforming and it's changing. Give it a chance. I challenge you. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Get in that office and don't leave until it breathes. Don't leave until it breathes. That has become a constant statement in my life. When I'm feeling dry, when I'm in a valley, I say, JJ, don't you leave until it breathes. And every time. See, the breath of God is life. It was breathed into Adam the moment of our creation. He breathed his very breath into him. But I want to tell you about another very important breath that often gets overlooked. It says in the word of God, when Jesus was crucified, it said, and he cried out, it is finished. And we stopped there. But it says right after that, and Jesus breathed his last breath. And his last breath, he once again breathed out on humanity and he went and the breath of God came and brought life and resurrection back into mankind again on earth side when he said it is finished the work was finished and he breathed his last breath that same breath that brought life to Adam was breathed and I tell you what it is in our atmosphere to this very day And we are breathing in God. We've got to do more than just desire God. It says Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I want you to understand that something. When you begin to delight yourself in the Lord, your desires actually change. (laughs) So it's not like, I want that Tesla, 
So God, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to go to church. See, when I begin to delight myself in him, when I begin to realize that the greatest joy and my most favorite relationship is found when I'm spending time with Jesus, whether it's in his word, whether it's talking to him, whether it's worshiping, whether it's receiving and growing, all of a sudden my desires are transformed and become his desires for me. And they become in alignment, and I see the pathway of how to, how to see them fulfilled. So delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But there is something about being desperate for God. You hear people say it all the time. Being desperate for God is not about acquiring his presence in our lives. We must already believe that God will always be with us and the Holy Spirit will accompany us everywhere. It is about knowing he already exists in our lives. This desperate need for God stems from already having relationship with him and wanting more. God is saying you are praying for one thing that is within your level of understanding, but I'm about to release something greater in your life, something prophetic that will not only affect you, but will go out and affect your generation and those to come. See, being desperate for God, have you ever gone under, have you ever been at the beach and a wave overtakes you? And you become like <gasps> desperate to get in air. You're like you're circling under those waves. And if you've not been to the beach, it might be in a swimming pool or it might have been on a sports field and you get the air knocked out of you and you're just like, <gasps> and you're des- that panic hits you. And you're like, how do I get a breath in? <gasps> and when you do, it's like, oh, that is what we need to be for God. Oh, I desire God, but I'm going to be real with you right now. I don't know that I've come to a place where I'm desperate. Am I aware of him in every breath that I take? That that is his very breath and a gift in my life? Am I inhaling Christ and exhaling? Jesus, come quickly, be glorified, be magnified in every decision I make. From the shows I watch, to the friends I have, to the books I read. Are you glorified in that? Because the key and the access to all of this is we have to die to this. I have to die. And I struggle. I love TV. And there are shows that I love that has terrible language. I watched this one show and it has the best message ever. It is, if you've ever watched Ted Lasso, I want to be Ted. But Roy, friends, Roy needs soap in his mouth. And I struggle. And here's why, because I get convicted that I'm allowing that in the atmosphere of my home and I've not bowed my knee to that. Holiness. Be glorified, God. I want more of you, but I can't give up that. Look at Ted's a great guy. I want to be like him. I want to be that positive and quippy. 
but I'm allowing garbage in an atmosphere that is being filled with the breath of God. See, all of this isn't just about being consumers, my friends. Worship team, if you want to come up. Or piano and Kimberly. It's not about being consumers, and that is how almost all of us as Christians live our lives as consumers. We want to come to church, we want to come to camp, and all we want to do is receive. We don't want to serve. We don't want to have to share the gospel with someone else. We don't want to have to change the music we listen to, the shows we watch, the friends we have. We want to consume. But see, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ is that we would be like him. And what did he do? He gave his life as a ransom for many. And he says, this whole thing, all I want is your life. And what I will give you back is greater than you could have ever imagined. Would you pull out your communion? You can go ahead and open the top and pull out the, the little wafer. While this is symbolic, I want you to understand what this is. See, Jesus, it says in the Bible, on the night that he was betrayed, I love how that begins. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was at a table with 12. The people he had invested the most into Seated, knowing his betrayer was right there. And right here was the one who would deny him. Knowing that of all of them there, only one besides his mother and Mary Magdalene would be found at the foot of the cross in just a few short hours because they were afraid. But yet he looked at them they didn't know what was about to transpire in just a few short hours. He says, this right here. This is my body. And it's broken for you, Judas. And it's broken for you, Peter. And it's broken for Matthew. And it's broken for every one of you here. Let's quit squeezing our cups. This is that distraction we're talking about. This is Tate requires discipline. This is my body broken for you. Remember. Remember. This is my, my healing became your portion because of what I'm about to do. 
You don't have to live depressed and anxious. You don't have to live with cancer. You don't have to live with all of these different things that are diagnosed moment after moment. You don't have to live with that. You don't have to live with the fear of COVID. You don't have to live with the fear of every germ that's out there because this is his body broken for you. (coughs) He says, remember. Would you hold it up? (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus, we are people and we stand here and we want to remember what you've done in us this week. What you've done this weekend. And we want to remember that it is by your stripes that we have been healed body, soul, and spirit. Jesus, you are setting us free. You are delivering us. You are captivating us because of a choice that you made for me. So Jesus, I choose you in this moment. Would you guys say that with me? Would you say, I choose you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus. And then say this, I will remember Lord, that is our covenantal promise to you. Would you also remind us to remember? So we do this in remembrance of you with hearts full of thanksgiving and hearts filled with gratitude for what it is you've done in us. In Jesus' name, would you eat? And you can open up the juice. Jesus said in that same conversation, this is my blood poured out for you. Remember. I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes for a moment. You may have been here. You may have been invited by a friend. You may have been going to church for a while. You may have been going to church all your life, but you've never said, Jesus, would you be the Lord of my life? I'm inviting you in as Savior, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Today is the day that I choose you as Savior in my life. If you have never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, would you just look up at me and maybe give me a little hand so I know? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's no better decision you could ever make. And there's no need to rush this moment. Is there anyone else? Thank you. You may be also in this room and you may say, I made Jesus Lord of my life when I was a little kid. I made Jesus Lord of my life last week. (laughs) 
but I've never owned this decision as my own. I've never said I am a Christian because I choose to be. Not because my family made me go to church all my life growing up. This is my choice. I now stand accountable. And I also reap the rewards of the decision of making Jesus my Lord. Today, my faith becomes my own. If that is you where you've said, I have already made Jesus Lord, but today I own this decision. It's mine. Would you do the same? Would you look at me and would you raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. There are hands all over this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Before we drink the cup, I want everybody right where you're at to just take a moment. I just want you to have a moment with the Lord. Because when we drink the cup or the blood of Jesus, it washes us. But in order to be washed, there has to be a place of repentance. So would you just take a moment with the Lord and say, God, would you just forgive me? My attitudes, my actions, you may think of specific things. But I invite you in. Forgive me, God. you raise the cup. Father, it is with pure hearts and unblemished hearts that we come before you in this moment. And we recognize there is no more precious element on the earth than the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that gives us access to you. Forgives us of our sins, makes us new, gives us a fresh start. So we say thank you. And we remember. We will remember. In Jesus' name, would you drink? Now, Father God, we seal this time. You can go ahead and just stick your stuff next to you. Don't forget to pick it up and throw it away, though, at the end. Father God, we seal this time, this camp together. We say what you did here, let it not be an experience or an encounter, but let it have been transformational. Let us leave this place without even a concern of what may come our way. Lord, like your word says in 2 Chronicles, and we talked about it already, we don't know what to do, but Jesus, our eyes are fixed on you. We are fixed upon you. And I thank you, Lord, that right now we take authority over every work of darkness that would want to come in and steal what it is you've done from our lives. The word says it, that the enemy comes in immediately to steal what God has done. So right now we bind every work of hell that would want to come in immediately to steal what it is you have done in our hearts this weekend. We loose the angels that you have given charge over us to keep us in all of our ways, to fight on our behalf. 
I thank you, Lord, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that every tongue that rises in judgment against us, you will condemn it. I thank you that the word of the Lord is true and it is good and it is profitable. I thank you that no one will look down on one person in this room because of their age. But God, us mature believers will look to them to set the example in life, in love, in speech, in deed, and in purity. I thank you, Jesus, that we are called according to your purposes. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. We hail you, King Jesus. We hail you. We hope you've been inspired by this word. To help awaken your faith on a regular basis, subscribe now so you can be alerted when we have a new message. Thank you so much for listening.